Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Welcome. And thank you, George, for passing the baton. And, uh... Thanks to you for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, I don't know who that guy is going to be answering the phone, but I think his name is Alex. Alex doesn't need your first. He only needs your first name (laughs) and where you're calling from, not what you're calling about. He doesn't have a space to do anything with that. So your name and where you're calling from would be perfect. Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting you, your landscape, your backyard, your front yard. Oh, that side yard where it never gets any sun and the gutters flush it out with rainwater and all this other stuff. Or the specialty garden space that you've uh, dedicated to herbs. Or how about the taste of the tropics, your houseplants? I'm getting mine in today after the show. So finally they're going to make the migration back inside. And what is potting mix? And how to improve your soil? And shearing and pruning? And what are those bugs? How can there still be bugs when it's this cool? I don't know. And those diseases. There can be fungus in the wintertime. What? How is that possible? Mm-hmm. On your lawn. Using information to make good decisions. My thoughts will help orchestrate those decisions, I certainly hope. But the final judgment is going to be up to you. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you're listening from. And another important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone. Only your name and where you're calling from is all he needs. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like. I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage is my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Uh, During the course of my uh, professional life, I've written five gardening books, two are currently available at various locations. And, uh, well, enough of that stuff. How about the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This time of year, it's really tough to do Good Gardening Strolls because I have to do them before the show, and it's always very, very dark. So I almost have to always go someplace where there is going to be some street lighting or some kind of lighting anyway. But... uh, Uh, Good place for good lights and great plants. It's called Fountain Park Plaza, and it's at the basically on the eastern end of Lafayette Square. At Park and Vale is where I stopped and parked my car. You always have to park at a 45-degree angle on that side of the street, maybe both sides of the street. Anyway, as the sun was just starting, barely in the distance to highlight some of the clouds, birds were singing. And uh, the fountain started. So I guess the fountain comes on at 6.30 in the morning. 
There's a rain garden right there, and the rain garden demonstrates to you what you can grow and lower wet spots in your landscape rather than trying to just change the gray, the topography, and everything else. They had in their coneflowers, they had some shining blue star and prairie drop seed ornamental grasses. Nearby, uh, not in the rain garden though, a white pine partners with some locust trees. A brochure explains Lafayette Square's brick program. That's where you can dedicate or donate some money, and then you get your name put on a brick, and it gets laid in the plaza area. There's some liatris. There's hosta, both hanging or heading for a long winter's nap. A six-foot-high burning bush hedge really starting to blaze red. Ornamental cherries, yellowing foliage were starting to drop, too. Information sign explains Lafayette Square's history. And nearby, there's some rounded-off boxwood. They're teeming with black-eyed Susans. Some of them are still in flower, which is great to see. And uh, consistent with other um, fall ornamental grasses is they're putting their seed heads out. And uh, there's numerous benches along the walkways and a lot of different kind of woodies and perennials. They spill across the streets, creating a pleasant atmosphere for the whole setting. That's so neat. And uh, I'd probably been wandering around for about a half hour or so. And finally, the sun was not up, but it was really highlighting the clouds, making it look very, very striking. And uh, a morning breeze was creating a nice tempo for all the daylight that was coming. And also the tree branches were already starting to get the beat. They loved the beat. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? Again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On your perennial plants... You're probably better off as they start to brown, stop flowering, blah, 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 all that stuff. It's to cut the foliage and get rid of it entirely, especially plants like peonies. If you leave that foliage there, yes, you go, well, my grandmother always did it and everything else. But actually, it can drop some spores back on the ground as the foliage gets onto the ground. And then when the new leaves come up next year... It will pick up those spores and put powder mildew, all kinds of spotting, all kinds of rust and everything else on your peonies. So those are the kind of things. If you just keep everything a little bit cleaner, it's going to be to the advantage of the plant material in the future. Let's head over to Edgemont and go into Roger's yard. Hi, Roger. Hello. Hello. Yeah, Mike, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I was just curious uh, why my cherry tree is blooming at the moment. <laughs> well, sometimes they just get out of sequence, you know, so it's probably not a whole lot of flowers, I wouldn't think, but uh, it's just the weather gives gets them kind of messed up, and that's what happens. That's what I thought, and it doesn't have a whole lot. And I was also wondering about uh, your advice on planting a mimosa tree this fall. Uh, mimosa is a little bit iffy because it's a really a warm weather type tree. Uh, do you know, do you have one available? Cause usually they're not even available this time of year. Well, I got one for my birthday as a gift and it's been in a pot and it's, I don't know, four feet wide and about three feet tall. And it looks great right now. I would say probably well, dig a hole in some garden space or something and just drop the pot down into that hole and leave about an inch of the top of the pot above the surrounding ground as opposed to pulling it out 
and then, you know, let's say exposing the roots. So that's what I would do. And then next year, sometime, oh, let's say mid-March, you know, Ides of March or something along that line, go ahead and plant it then. Okay, so I'd have to stick it in the ground, a pot down, and pull it out next year and take the pot off and put it back in the ground. Right, exactly. That's what I would advise doing. Okay, thanks for your help. Certainly. Yeah, mimosa is one of my favorite. Uh, growing up in Ellisville, it was kind of totally wild and crazy, but my grandmother lived right across the street from us, and she had a mimosa tree, and to see that thing flower is just uh, nothing but striking. Let's head over to George. Hi, George. How are you today? Good morning. How Hi. are you? Good. Uh, I was wondering what end of hose uh, sprinkler would you recommend? Um it's personal choice as much as anything. I like oh, okay. the, you know, it's I like the ones that kind of spin. I don't want like the ones that just kind of weep back and forth and back and forth. So just so it's more important on how much water you're getting into the ground as opposed to how you're getting it there. So in other right. words, in the summertime, you want about an inch of water a week, and doing some every every day is not the ideal way to do it, whether it's irrigation system or hose with a sprinkler or anything else. So that's much, much more important than which style that you actually use yourself. Okay. Could I ask you one more question? Sure. I got a pineapple plant that came from the top of a pineapple, mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, I plant I it's in a ten inch pot, ten inch diameter, and uh I put it outside this year and it really did well. Right. Now I brought it in. Should I transplant that? No. Or just leave it in that pot. Leave it in that pot. That it could stay in a pot that large for its entire life. Oh, okay. So, yeah, don't transplant it, and especially any kind of house plant that anybody's bringing in or a tropical plant like the pineapple is. Don't do any transplanting at all. Don't do any fertilizing this time of year because you're going to just mess everything up. All right. Sounds great. All right. One more one more quick one. I like to start a Christmas tree farm, a small one, and I have a farm on the Missouri-Kansas border, and I planted a couple of spruces, which done all right this summer, but I, I found out that they don't do too well. Is there a... Another choice I could go to? I would probably go on the Internet and uh, look at it from that perspective as opposed to... Because, I mean, Christmas trees are very specific. And, I mean, the pines are probably going to do okay, but I would you know do a little bit of research from that perspective as opposed to just me kind of throwing out a couple names you know, to, okay. to you. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Certainly. Yeah, or go to the University, or University of Missouri Extension Service and see which trees they recommend. Or you can obviously, I mean, there's a lot of tree farms around here. You can go to the tree farms and find out which ones that they are actually growing. So now let's head over to Vern's. Hi, Vern. Uh, good morning, Mike. Hi. I just have a general question about the uh, fertilizer and the three numbers. Can you use uh, the same bag of fertilizer for a lawn as, that you could use with your flower garden or your uh, vegetable garden. I have several bags of different numbers, a high nitrogen bag left over and some 12-12-12 bag. I was wondering, can you use that uh, amongst the 
gardens that I have, the flower and the vegetable and the lawn. It's probably not ideal because high nitrogen can cause some real bad impact, especially if you're putting it down this time of year. You can force some growth when everything should be shutting down. So definitely don't want to do that. Triple 12 was a fertilizer developed for agricultural circumstances, so it is like a one-season shot type thing. And if you if you don't need some of the, like the last two numbers are phosphorus and potassium, if you haven't had a soil test done, you may have extravagant levels of those two things in your soil, and then adding more to it could cause more problems for your plant root systems than it does to the advantage. So fertilizing is not always the best for the plant material. So if you're serious okay. about it, you know, I mean, soil testing, it, is, it does cost some money. The University of Missouri do, does do the, uh, the testing and each, you know, get a sample from lawn, get a sample from gardens, you know, bed space and that type thing, and then find out what there is there first before you decide what you're going to buy in the future and what you're going to use because you have it currently in your garage or wherever it happens to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be for the future. Next, you know, starting next year, I just uh, and I'm going to get a soil test. So I was just curious about that general use of that. Yeah, fertilizer. But, I mean, overall, right. it's you know, it should be okay. But the specifics, you know, I mean, uh, some of them, like right. let's say you have broadleaf evergreens, holly, azaleas, those type things, and or magnolias that are evergreen. They need a very specific type fertilizer that has. Phosphorus and potassium, or I mean, uh, iron and sulfate in it. So that's you know you got to if you got that kind of circumstance, and it's not really going to work as well. Or if you have boxwood or anything else that's a broadleaf evergreen, or not necessarily dogwoods like an acidic soil too. So that's why just putting out fertilizer generally is not necessarily the best thing to do. All right, great, thank you, Mike. All right, great. Bye. And now let's go over to Ella. Hi, Ella. Good morning. We have an ongoing problem with Creeping Charlie, our neighbor's yard. uh, The woman is unable to take care of it. uh, You know, that's a sad situation. But anyway, it's just really taking over her yard. What can we do with an ongoing problem like this? Um, It's in side yard a little bit now. I need to get rid of that. But what can we do to just, we know this is going to be an ongoing problem. Right. It is going to be an ongoing yeah. problem. I mean, it's there's just no getting around it. It yeah. is, you know, it is a, you might try to putting a pre-emergent down in the springtime, even though it's not necessarily an annual, it is a perennial type weed, but you can start weakening it because it will spread by rhizomes underneath the ground and just as the stems touch the ground, they can root. But okay. then just go after it with like, if you're not opposed to any kind of a, herbicides like a broadleaf weed killer. Okay. That's about the only thing you're going to be able to do. But I I think the combination of the pre-emergent as well as the post-emergent is the best thing to do. Thank you. Certainly. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. And let's see. Where should we go? Let's go to Alton, Illinois, and see what's going on in Ann's yard. Hi, Ann. Hi, Mike. Um, quite a while back, um, a lady had called in regarding a gardenia, and she wanted to do wanted to know what to do with it when you brought it inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had one for about twelve years, and it started out as a small florist gardenia, and um, I bring it in every winter. Um, I put it in a south window. I rotate it a quarter turn every day, and 
I only water it when the leaves start to show a little wilt to it. And this year, it's actually putting out the large leaves, um, and it's over five feet tall. Wow. <laughs> and it's, uh, it takes up the whole window. Um, it's probably got a diameter of about three feet. Um, and I've had no problem with it um, at all. It does drop some leaves in the fall. Um, but usually what I do is I take cuttings from the very tops, and then I cut the whole plant in half. <laughs> and I've been doing this for 12 years. Never could grow them before. And for some reason, just by doing the simplicity of it, it's done very well. A lot of times keeping things simple is the best way to go for sure. Now, this right. thing must, and, this must and weigh I, a ton. You know, I don't fertilize it that often during the summertime either. Right. But, I mean, a lot so, of times, uh, you know, great success. I've, I, I, a guy that I worked at the Botanical Garden with, his mother had one, and it was probably about the size of what you're talking about. And she had a sliding glass door, and, I mean, it pretty much just went outside the door in the summertime and then came inside the door in the wintertime. She had great success, and she didn't overdo it. A lot of times, you know, regardless of what kind of plant it is, overdoing it can cause more problems than good, just like I was talking to the gentleman about fertilizing. Some people, right. We always think fertilizer is going to make things better, but it doesn't necessarily do that. No, and I, I, I think I found the key to it was to turn it every day. A quarter of a turn. So it gets that almost like even sun. Right. That's about it. I mean, it makes good sense. So I bet you have huge biceps from turning it because it's got to be pretty heavy. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You have no idea. (laughs) I got to get out the dolly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. All right. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. And now let's go over to Gene's yard. Hi, Gene. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, everybody was talking about still having hummingbirds, and uh, but most of us have lost our hummingbirds by now. But I went to Simon and they said to keep one feeder out in case you got stragglers migrating. Thirty minutes ago, my one feeder I still had out, I heard a little buzz, and there he was. You're kidding! A little straggler. Wow. Uh, so keep keep at least one. Uh, feed her out for those little latecomers. Boy, it was, it was so neat. What a way to start your Saturday morning. You aren't kidding. Being a latecomer hummingbird. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, Brian Kelly was talking, I guess, last week that he had one, you know, coming to his, you know, he left one of his feeders out too. So, yeah, that, yeah. that's good so advice. I, I, would encourage, I, I would encourage all your listeners to put out at least one feeder to uh, take care of those little latecomers. <laughs> Yeah, because they probably got distracted or who knows what. <laughs> well, that, when he started feeding, Molly just kept drinking and drinking and drinking. The little old booger just had to be starved <laughs> to death. And uh, it, was just, it was just really neat. Well, that's and, fantastic. Uh, I just wanted to share that with you. Well, thanks. I greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The gentleman is calling about what kind of sprinkler I'd recommend, but don't stop watering your landscape. It's still been very dry, if we remember, and dry soils can have a really adverse impact 
on plant material, whether it's well-established or whether it's recently been planted within the last two years or so. You get air pockets down there because the soil is sort of shrinking because it's so dry. Then if we get a really cold spell like we had last Saturday where we had, I mean, it wasn't just frost. It was like ice on windshields and things like that. The cold air sinks down in there and starts damaging the root hairs. Then, I mean, that's uh, the trouble. So keep watering. Don't put your, don't turn off your outside faucets or your irrigation systems or anything yet at all. So let's head over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mike. Uh, question, can you plant bulbs in soil uh, mix, potting mix, or do you need ground? Well, I plant them in pots in potting mix. Okay, so, that's what I want to know. If I cut my marigolds off, I've got like 25 bushes. Will they reseed for next year anyway? Probably not. Marigolds are generally not really good reseeders, and their root systems oh, cannot survive the, our winter coldness. Okay, well, mine keep multiplying. I've got about 25 wow. bushes out there, but I'll leave them on for uh, till spring. Uh, what about my jade has some black gray spots in the leaves. It's about a foot and a half tall. Fungus? Uh, could be. I would just take my finger and just those spots that you're seeing, just rub them a little bit and see if, usually if it's going to be a fungus and not a physical damage type thing, it should rub off a little bit. No, it doesn't rub off and there's quite a bit around on it. I was going to spray it with a fungus spray. I would not, I wouldn't bother, especially, you know, now, but uh, it could be, are they the interior leaves or is it the ones near the end of the branches? Kind of all over the plant. Maybe, you know, the middle of the leaf, but, yeah, they're big leaves. So it's not mm. near the, it's not the oldest it's, leaves, it's it, some of the newer leaves no, as well? No, It's been outside for the winter, I mean, summer, uh, and got this. Yeah, well, I think I it's, it in, yeah, I think it's probably physical damage as much as anything. So Okay, you know. so I'll bring it inside and it won't contaminate everything else. No, not Thank at all. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And now let's, where should we go? Let's, well, let's, we don't know where Joanne lives. Hi, Joanne. I live in Valmire. That's oh. where. All right. Perfect. Uh, Mike, I've been affiliated with a conservation organization called Clifftop for about 12 years, mm-hmm. and I have learned so much about invasive plants. And when I heard you talking about a mimosa tree and and uh, your caller wanted to plant one, ugh. It just gave my heart a, a little seizure. They are invading our natural areas, especially down by Prairie to Rocher. If you drive along the bluff corridor down there, they're just everywhere. Honestly, my husband and I have found one deep in our woods. It was about 30 feet tall. They're really invasive, almost like... Um, Oh, the Bradford pears, you know how they're invading right. natural areas as well. Not as bad as honeysuckle, but <laughs> I just I would encourage people to plant more native trees rather than these exotic trees. Right. I understand. But, I mean, some people want something that's going to flower a little bit later. Usually the native stuff, I mean, there's very few natives that flower in the summertime. Yeah. Um, some of the buckeyes, uh, I think a red buckeye might flower a little later and and give you some beautiful foliage in the fall as well. 
But I understand, but these are foreign plants that have brought been brought into the United States, mm-hmm. and they're, they're just invasive. Right. So. And they're in the pea family, so they produce huge amounts of pods and everything else. Exactly. Exactly. So I would just encourage people to look at natives rather than these exotics. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for your insight. Thank you. Yes. Bye. Yeah, and speaking of natives, uh, the family across the street from me has a dogwood. They had two, and then somebody cut one of them down for some reason. I don't know exactly why they did. But the berries on the dogwood, the starlings are loving them. So, I mean, like, the starlings will sit up on the power lines that run down the alley, and then early in the earlier in the morning, and then they'll sort of, like, go down in, like, f- droves of five or six onto the dogwood, eat the berries, and then uh, come back. And it'll be interesting to see if any of the, actually, dogwood seedlings or dogwood seeds that they're eating— actually get germinated because I've told the story plenty of times how the birds like the the blue juniper berries. And I have so many little juniper seedlings in my yard that, uh, you know, for the wintertime for a window box in the kitchen, I put usually fill a couple window boxes up with just juniper seedlings. So when we look out, we can see, you know, the junipers. It's just kind of an amazing thing. So, yeah, certain things can just be invasive, like incredibly, amazingly you know, prolific. And so mimosas apparently want them. Yes, I've seen them, you know, some on bluffs and things like that. I've never seen them in the deep woods, but that's certainly, I don't get to all deep woods by any means. Let's head over to Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Yes, I have a question about dogwoods, in fact. I have three dogwoods in my uh, yard, and uh, one of them, well, actually, all three of them didn't do real well this, this summer. And I had some uh, arborists come by and, and look at it, and I was ready to take one of the dogwoods out, and he said, just leave it in and put some miracle Grow around it this fall. And I had never heard of using miracle Grow to revive dogwoods for sure. Me either, because dogwoods like an acidic soil. If anything, I'd use the Scots for, you know, acid-loving plant material, not miracle Grow. And I'd be a little bit concerned. You can know, if you've had these trees for a while, you know what the buds look like, you know, on the ends of the branches and everything else. I just think, right. personally, it was all the crazy rain that we had early on may have, like, reduced the root system through a little bit of drowning because dogwoods do not like wet soils. So I think that had more of an impact than anything else. And I don't see putting fertilizer down around them being something that's going to be to the advantage of the tree, especially a fertilizer that's not formulated for the, let's say, this chemistry that they need to be as healthy and vigorous as possible. Okay. All right. Well, good. I won't do that then. Thank you. Yeah, definitely not. And uh, probably what I do, the best thing to do is, let's say you don't want to do any fertilizing with acid-based fertilizer, but go out about two-thirds or a third of the way or halfway out from the trunk to the extension of the branches and get an earth, get an electric drill, earth auger, which is a big, you know, drill bit, auger some uh-huh. holes and then backfill those holes with compost. Try to feed the soil and see if that will help as opposed to putting fertilizer. Okay, will do. All right, Thank great. You. Yeah, fertilizers, you know, has some great purposes, but it's more cosmetic than anything. 
there are certainly amendments that we can add to the soil that makes a difference, like changing the pH, whether it needs to be alkaline, like around lilacs or clematis, or whether it needs to be acidic around other things. So I just don't know. Putting fertilizer down in the fall scares me a lot. Let's go now to Bill, and he lives in O'Fallon. Hi, Bill. Hey, good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm trying to prep my soil for next year and for the things that I want to grow. My question has to do with chicken manure. Um, it has to, I have seen some uh, some bell peppers that were grown in uh, heavy concentrations of chicken manure, and I have had a real hard time trying to grow bell peppers. So I wondered uh, to what, if it is a good idea, I know chicken manure is hot and can have some acidic problems, but my question is, um, if I put it in this fall, how well will it be ready to receive plants in the spring of next year? It should be okay as long as you're you're mixing in the soil. You're just not layering on top of the soil, correct? Right. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So if you're churning it in, it should be okay. And you know, if it's really raw, I you know, I'm a little bit apprehensive about doing that. But putting it in the soil, letting it go through all the freezing and thawing and everything else in the wintertime, that should probably, let's say. Cool it down so it could be to the advantage of your plant material. All right. And one last thing, the matter of crop rotation. I probably had a little bit more disease in my tomatoes this year than I've had in years past. And so I wanted to check with you about uh, crop rotation. Um, just give give me a general overview of it, would you please? Uh, probably with a home garden circumstance, it's probably not all that important, to be honest. I think the tomatoes just, again, suffered like some of the other plant materials did with the excessive wet, wet soils. Even though they like a lot of moisture, I think that was a problem. And I'm assuming you've been growing tomatoes for a while. Yes. This is the same t- varieties of tomatoes that you've been using. Let's say whether big boy, better boy, early girl, or whatever it happens to yes. be. And usually in the same place, yeah. Yeah, so I would say maybe just try to change the type of tomato as opposed to putting something else in that spot because it's really not something that you can put there for one season that's going to really revive the soil that's going to make all that much difference. Okay, rabbit manure, uh, yes or no? Uh, I, you know, I'm all, again, in manures, I'm just a little bit iffy, you know, concerned unless they've been composted. Okay, yeah. All right, hey, I appreciate your program. Well, thanks, thanks. for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. We're headed over to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Very good. Hey, uh, I just moved here from California, and uh, I've been trying to upgrade my uh, yard. I've got about uh, two acres in the front, <clears throat> and uh, I've been trying to put in some fruit trees. Uh, to uh, enhance my yard and also make it available for canning and uh, normal uh, dietary things. But uh, I'm having an issue with these trees. Uh, They're dying after I plant them. Uh, About four or five months later, they start uh, dying off. And um, I took a few of them out and took them back to the nursery and, uh, you know, got replacements and everything. But they told me that... uh, 
I've water, uh, the water that's accumulating underneath the tree from the clay is causing the roots to just rot. And um, I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to plant these to keep them from dying because we do have a lot of clay in our soil. And um, I've just I replaced this one tree. It was pretty expensive. Uh, it was a, uh, a Honeycrisp apple tree, and it's got about a three-inch uh, trunk on it. And the, I planted it out there, and I dug around it more to uh, facilitate more root growth, root growth, growth, and it uh, doesn't appear to be growing any roots in those directions. So I don't know what I can do. I took it out of the ground to see if it was puddling water underneath, and it wasn't. And then I took it and put it in the in my pond for a day or so to rehydrate it. And then I planted it back in a big pot uh, that it came in. It's about a, I guess, about a two-foot pot. And I put uh, potting soil all around the roots and everything and put it back in this big pot. And it hasn't seemed to do any good. Well, so I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, basically what you want to do is you want to dig the hole for any plant, woody plant, any kind of tree or anything, three times the diameter of the root ball. And right. you don't want to necessarily add a bunch of, like, potting mix necessarily into that hole when you're going to put the plant. But you only want to go as about 80% as deep. So you want the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground so it'll be like on a mound when you look at it. And then you're going to put about uh, two to three inches of mulch over that. And that's about the best thing you can do as far as, you know, Honeycrisp. I you know I don't know if that's the best apple to be growing here. Now, did the, the nursery recommend that variety? No, it was uh, pretty much my uh, personal choice. Yeah, I don't. You know, there's certain apples do very well here. Now, I don't know is was this a dwarf tree? Is this a semi dwarf or is this a standard size tree? It's a. I think it's probably a semi dwarf. Okay, so it's, then you uh, should be getting fruit production after about five to seven years. And then a dwarf uh-huh. tree is seven to nine years, and a standard tree could be ten plus years. But again, it's you know p- the planting of the circumstance. And if you are serious about this, have you had a soil test done? No, I really haven't. I probably should do that. Absolutely, because uh, there may be something. Yeah. Your yard may have been taken care of. You know, I don't know what it was before or anything else, but it may have some nutrient problems in the ground too. As far as too much of something, abundance of certain nutrients can be detrimental to plant material as much as being starved. So I would get a soil test done before you invest anything else money-wise or mental money either in new plant material or anything else. What about uh, uh, University of Missouri? I heard you speaking of them. Are they the ones that do the soil testing? Yes, right. They've got an office in Kirkwood. You can contact them. They they you know should get a soil test kit to you, and then just find out what's in your ground. Yeah, I've looked. At, I've dug around here trying to find places to plant a garden and trying to find topsoil, and I've only found uh, about three places uh, where the tops where there's topsoil here on this property. Most of it's all uh, like that orange clay. Right. And. Uh, it's real difficult for me to try to plant anything. I had uh, a, my neighbor came over with his auger and dug these holes for the trees, and then we, uh, of course, it was quite a bit too deep. So uh, I, uh, but I did find that uh, there was about maybe six or eight inches of topsoil on top, 
And uh, so I dug around that um, and made a circle around the, where the root ball was going to go and uh, tried to uh, incorporate that into the planting. And then uh, I don't know whether to trim the roots on this tree before I... No, don't do it. To, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Right. Okay. A lot of, again, doing too much, it can be a problem. And augering holes make it so the sides are, like, permanently there. And the roots, even if they start to migrate horizontally, where that's the direction feeder roots go, they are stuck. They can't get out, and they just spin. And it could be just, you know, that could be just holding the water. Even if you've got six inches of topsoil above, the root systems are going to be a little bit below that. Yeah, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to, get some topsoil and uh, some compost in and try to uh, make a better uh, mix of soil here so I can start doing, I'm actually going to do raised beds in some places, but I'm going to need to get uh, topsoil and compost and uh, steer manure and different things to, uh, you know, with uh, uh, different types of soil matter to uh, try to keep the soil in as, as loose as I can, because most of the soil is too compacted around here. Right. Well, California, I don't know where you actually live, but I spent almost 10 years in California. They've got a lot of heavy clay soils, too. Not in the valley, where all the agricultural things are, but the coastal areas are going up into the mountains. That's pretty heavy-duty clay. So anyway, thanks, Dave. We greatly appreciate it, and good luck with that. Get the soil test done. That's the best thing you can do. Let's head over to Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Good morning. Hi. I've got uh, two quick questions. I I live in a development that's got a lot of woods around on some acreage. Mm -hmm. And I I fight. I love them dearly because they're beautiful, but the deer just annihilate all my plants. I've had hosta. They devour them. I've had esters. I mean, is there something that I can do? so that I can enjoy the deer and my plants? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it's one or the other. And really, deer repellents and things along that line, just there is a, you know, go to the University of Missouri Extension or University of Missouri, you know, the Agriculture Extension Service, and just there's deer-resistant plants that are available, but it probably is not going to be the ones you like. A lot of times right. they're going after moisture as much as anything. So, I mean, right. they'll eat evergreens, they'll eat all kinds of different things, depending upon how severe the winter is. Right. Well, it, it seems like I didn't have a problem until we, a few years back when we had a terribly dry summer, and the deer, I think, were just looking for anything to eat, and that's when they started on the hosta. Right. And, and, and since then, now I think they think it's a smorgasbord, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, here's a quick list, I you know, for woody plants— Ginkgo trees, oak leaf hydrangeas, gold thread branch cypress, hawthorn trees. Those are ones that deer generally are least appealing. Perennial-wise, some of the sedums, milkweeds, columbine, coreopsis, those. Russian sages, some of the bulbs like chorus. And the annuals they don't necessarily like are marigolds, lantana, and let's say... Cleome and things along that line, but uh, uh-huh. there's okay. a list of things that are more deer safe than others. But hosta is definitely okay. one of their favorites. Yep. Okay. And then one other quick question: I live on a very wooded area, and I've really been struggling with the um, mold and moss growing on the grass. And my local 
feed store said put lime down, it doesn't seem to have helped it much. No, you're just going to have to live with it, to be honest with you. You pick really? that environment, and that environment is exactly what, you know, is productive right. to this to the mosses, and just uh, embrace the moss. I mean, the Orientals okay. love, and they have moss gardens. Okay. All right. Well, I'm trying to get some more grass to grow so the yard looks nice, but well, I, I guess it's one or the other. Yeah, put on uh, rose-colored glasses. Okay. All right. Will do. Thank you very much for your help. Certainly. But uh, some of the other things that deer generally don't like are... Uh, Let's say blue spruce, rosa sheeran, witch hazels, vitex. So there are plants that they don't necessarily like. So if you do have questions or concerns, hang on if you're on the line or give us a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, I will see you after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, George. And folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments, like the lady who last hour called about the mimosa trees being more invasive than what she prefers, and she wants people to just plant uh, native trees. So. It's uh, we all have our own things, and that's fine. That's perfect. I don't mind hearing that, and certainly keep that in mind. As I said, my grandmother in Ellsville in the mid fifties, they planted a mimosa tree in the backyard. So I kind of like them, but uh, yes, they are not native to here. And thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs related to annuals, bulbs. Speaking of bulbs, my elephant ears got beheaded. Or I guess their ears clipped off this past week, and now they're in pots still sitting in the garage for the potting mix to dry, and then I'm going to shake all the potting mix off before I bring them inside into the basement. Edibles, cool season vegetables. I'll tell you what I really like. You know, I'm not a real super fan of cabbage necessarily, but I'll tell you the purple cabbage this time of year that's available, Aesthetically, I like to look at it. I think it's great. I like it better than the kale, but that's a personal choice more so than anything else. Ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. But please, I certainly like to share my thoughts and ideas, but my answers, comments, and opinions are not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to consider. And across the big board is Alex. He's producing again. He just needs your name. And where you're calling from, that's it. He doesn't want to know what you're calling about or anything else. During the week, I spend my time landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk where solving aesthetic problems or actually problem solving for plant material, that's what it's all about. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and the homepage is where my email and phone number is. I'll share 40-plus years of experience in the outdoors. So whether it's design, you know, I don't do any formal designs anymore, but I can make recommendations on plant material, specific plants on how to care for them, and the maintenance of those plant materials too. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Again, tip of the trial goes out to several different garden clubs, uh, one is a Concord Garden Club, and they meet on South Limburg. So Concord Garden Club. Another one is Design Concepts 
Garden Club, and they are from Cottleville. So, I mean, just, I mean, if you're into plant material or you're just beginning or anything else, this is a great way to, you know, get together with people that can give you some great insight on what's happening in the outdoors. The Fenton Garden Club also, they meet uh, obviously in Fenton, and the First Capital Garden Club, and they are out in St. Charles. So today we had one in, let's say, I guess, South County off you know Lindbergh. That's where they meet. Cottleville, Fenton, and then St. Charles, so First Capital. That's where the First Capital was. Anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hunt. Why don't we take some calls before I do that? Let's go to Sue. Sue, how are you today? Hi. Hi. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I've called you before about the silly hummingbirds. But anyway, um, uh, we have about a 20-foot-tall red maple. I think it was called Autumn Breeze or something. But it's about three years old, and it's misshapen somewhat. The top right now is just, it looks like a candy cane. It's drooped over. And I'd say mm, three-fourths of the way up, it looks like the leaves are just so heavy that the, the little branches can't, can't hold it up. And my husband, we don't know whether to trim those to, to help it shape enough or, or what we should do. I would probably, if I was you, do something called deep root feeding. So in other words, go yes. off halfway from the trunk to the extension of the branches, auger mm-hmm. holes, and backfill those holes with compost. If there's no big trees close by, is there? Well, we're in a, a housing development, so there's tr- no nothing in our yard that's close by. Okay, no. so in other words, a lot of times trees will kind of lean in opposite direction if there's a larger tree close by. No, no, no. Oh. it's it's by itself in kind of the middle of a small front yard. Yeah, what? Well, My husband did put the stakes down to feed it. Yeah, don't fertilizing stakes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about yeah. feeding the soil. Fertilizing. So this is, you know, earth auger. Go to your favorite garden center. It's like a big drill bit. Auger Mm -hmm. holes about a, you know, a foot apart and start like, you know, halfway out from the trunk to the drip line and just make a concentric circle, go out another foot and then another circle and uh, just backfill them with compost. Because if this is a new development, the soil is probably horrible. Oh, it is. It is. It's. It, there's a lot of rock out here. We're right. in Eureka, so it's just rock, rock, rock. Right. So all that is playing a role. And a tree that's only three years old but 20 feet high, that's exceptionally that's big. Yes. It has grown very rapidly. So right. I don't know. Uh, maybe the branches couldn't keep up with the, the growth. <laughs> right. But. And, you know, it's been so dry, too. So that's been a you know, factor yeah. lately. I mean, well, we've we only have had... a watering system, so it gets, it gets water. Well, um, if, it depends upon how the watering system. Put a bowl of water, put a bowl out, let's say, mm-hmm. a couple feet out from the trunk. And when the irrigation system is on, I'm assuming it's still on, and see if you're getting, a, you know, an inch of water with yeah. it, you know, every seven days. If you're not, then it's not, you know, set right mm-hmm. for okay. the tree. Okay, okay. And you would not recommend any pruning at all? Just Maples uh, really prefer to be pruned in the summertime. So pruning okay. in the wintertime, okay. you get a lot more sap flow and everything else. So I'll leave it alone. And mm-hmm. then if it's still doing the same type thing, maybe next year in the summer, do the pruning at that time. Okay. And you said to fill those holes with mulch? Compost. With compost. Yeah, not okay. mulch. Right. I got you. Yeah. Okay. With compost. Right. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much. Certainly. And thank you for holding on so long. And now let's go to John. Hi, John. How are you? I'm great. Uh, just one little quick word about hummingbirds. We did have a hummer on, I think it was Wednesday, and a lot of times we get uh, the little hairy woodpeckers to come to our feeder, and we call them humpeckers. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they we have two of them fight over it sometimes. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're rather interesting to watch. Anyway, uh, we have some knockout roses that we failed to trim back last year. Uh, we put them in, and they're doing really good. Uh, when should you finally cut those back? I would probably leave them alone if you can, if they're not, you know, overgrowing sidewalks or driveways or things like that, and then prune them as we're coming out of wintertime. So sometime between, let's say, Valentine's Day and mid-March. Oh, okay. So wait till February or March, right? Right, okay. because you want to, you know, we don't know how screwy the weather's going to be, so you start pruning. We get a severe, severe, severe winter. You get some damage to the twigs and everything else. It could be really ruin them. Okay, gotcha. Okay, right. we will wait then. Thank right. you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, this show is very exclusive. When you hear that bird sound, it's because they allow birds into the studio, if you can believe that. <laughs> Joanne, how are you today? Hello, Joanne. Uh, yes, hi, Mike. Hi. Is this the time of the year that's recommended to trim back your boxwood and I uh, burning bushes? Burning bush, I mean, obviously you're going to leave them alone and so you can get as much fall color off them as you possibly can. I don't like to prune. Those could probably be pruned. But the boxwood, they're broadleaf evergreens. I don't like to prune any kind of broadleaf evergreen going into the wintertime. Okay. So you, you recommend trimming the... Um, burning bush, but I can't wait until um, springtime for that? Uh, you can. You don't have to prune it now. Okay, well, if I do it in the spring, are we talking February or March? Yes, just before the new growth begins. So just watch the buds you know, on the stems. If you start to see them expand, I'm not even talking about a full leaf coming out or anything else. Get them pruned right at that time before, okay. you know, just before the buds really start swelling up. Okay, well, I thought of just trimming the top of the burning bushes and then in spring, you know, do, do the sides and leave the boxwood alone because they're, they're saying we're supposed to have a very harsh winter, and I right. thought, you know, without trimming, that would protect them. Right. So the pruning, I mean, the, the tips of the branches are always tougher than some of the interior, although you know the interior part of the leaves and stems and everything else at one time were at the tips, but they've gotten a little bit weaker because they're more towards the center, a little bit more protected. And so when you cut off the ends, then all of a sudden what was getting a little protection from the tips no longer is getting that protection, and then that's when a lot of the severe winter damage can happen. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you, Mike. Certainly my pleasure. And right. let's see, where do we want to go now? Let's go over to Annie's yard. Hi, Annie. Hi, Mike. I uh, got a question about my hosta. I want to transplant them. When is a good time to do that? ASAP. Okay. You can All still right. do it now. I mean, you know right where they are and everything else. So uh, okay. if you wait till spring, you go, let's see, I don't even if you get some landscape paint, paint a circle around them. This way you can do it now. I would get it done soon because the ground is still warm. You can get some, you know, advancement of the new root system for the transplants and everything else. But uh, I would buy before the end of the or by the end of this month would be great. 
by at least the first week of November, that should be, you know, adequate. Okay. And should I be cleaning the foliage off of the other ones I'm going to let where they are? Uh, cleaning as far as cutting it off, yes. Yes. Okay. All yeah, right. because... Another question. Yeah, another, th- you know, on the underside of the hosta leaves, there could be slugs. That's why you want to uh-huh. get rid of them. Uh-huh. Okay. I have a question about hydrangeas. Should I continue to water them? Now, yeah, anything, any plant in the landscape, it has been very dry for the last two months. Continue to water. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your help. You have a great day. Well, you do the very same thing. And now let's go to Irene's yard. Hi, Irene. Hello. Hi. Hi, it's Eileen. Oh, Eileen. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. I just, I bought some uh, bulbs from Missouri, like Missouri Iris from the Missouri, um, Outside of Jefferson City, the big Missouri botanical that sell Missouri native plants and Mm -hmm. things. Do I have to pull them out? Do I have to dig them up? What kind of bulbs are they? Like, it was like irises and a combination. Iris and, I don't know, things that came up a little red on them. And (laughs) they were native Missouri bulbs. No, anything that's native does not have to be dug up by any means whatsoever. Thank you. My neighbors are going, oh, no, you got to die. No, 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 no. No, no, I got this outside of Jeff City. Yeah. I mean, I went to their original. <laughs> right. So wild, Missouri wildflower. That's it. And so probably maybe put like a, an inch or so of uh, mulch over the top of them, but that's all you need to do. And even and with I can, real, use your, I can use the cedar mulch over the top of them? Uh, yeah, you probably could. I would probably... You don't need to probably mulch them, but uh, I, from an aesthetic standpoint, I think it just looks a little bit better for the wintertime. So they're probably fine just to be left alone, but I would you know, put some mulch on them. Well, I'll put mulch there to kill the rest of the cotton. I will say one thing. It has grown more weeds than anything else I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, weeds are wildflowers, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I found out. But no, I went there and they and they had a whole bunch of them. They just said, "How about this? We'll get you five of these and five of these and five of these and five of these." <laughs> and I said, "Okay," huh. because I'm not a plant person. So when they were giving me all the directions and all the information, and this is part of this and this, I had no idea what they were talking about. Right. <laughs> You're kind of like and me. St. Louis, they said, "Here, just here, 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 and here." Sounds perfect. But most of them are irises. Ah. So they're, they're really pretty, and they all bloom kind of at a different point. Yeah, there's there's several different. Everybody always thinks of iris as a classic flags, but there's lots of different kinds of iris. Well, I mean, they just gave me, and they said it's all native to Missouri, and and if people haven't ever been there when they're driving around Jeff City or going down to Lake of the Ozarks, they really should stop. Yeah, it is a, quite the place. It is, and they're very helpful. Right. So thank you very much, and you're, you're very helpful, too. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. So thanks, I, Eli, Eileen. <laughs> Alex, you misspelled her name. Darn you. The phone's hard to hear sometimes, so I just, you know, <laughs> what I hear, what I hear, and I apologize. No big deal. Let's go over to Scott's yard. Hi, Scott. Hey, Mike. I got a question about a bald cypress. The knuckles are now going towards our foundation of the house, and it's a slab house. And I'm wondering if I should take out the bald cypress, or what should we do? Uh, that's, I mean, horizontal growth, that's exactly what the root systems do. Every tree does it. It's just they're more obvious on the bald cypress because 
they what they do is they put up those knees when they're growing their native habitats, which are swampy, wet areas. Right. And that's how they get oxygen into their system. So because they can't get oxygen out of just swampy or any kind of, let's say, puddles of water. So right. how far away is it from your house? The main tree is probably 15 feet. It's about Ooh. 25, 26 foot high tree. Yeah, they're, and they're going all over the place. Right. I would say... Unless you just absolutely love this tree and you're a tree hugger or whatever, I would say it should probably come down because it could be problematic for especially a home that's a slab. Even a ba- you know a, a home with a basement, it could be problems because of, the root system will hit the tr- you know hit the basement wall and then go around. But if it finds any fissures or cracks, then it pushes into that too. So they could be trouble. And 15 feet is way too close. Okay. Yeah, we didn't plant it. It was there when we moved in ah. four years ago. Yeah, that was right, whoever well, did that was not so smart. I was afraid that's what it was. It's a beautiful tree, and, right. and it's sad. But okay, thanks so much, sir. Certainly, my pleasure. Well, what you can do is, if you really like them, put one about forty feet away, and you can enjoy the because they are great. I mean, it's nice to see something, and I like their cones. You know, the round cones and everything else. So I'm I'm a fan of bald cypress myself. Let's go over to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Greetings from a fellow Lafayette uh, grad. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I'm a little bit younger than you are, though. <laughs> well, we both went to the well, we both went to the original school, not oh. the not the new one. Ah. <laughs> hey, I got a couple questions. I am trying to. Uh, I've got got all these like woody, uh, invasive plants all around my house, and I'm I'm cutting them off. You know, uh, close to the ground. What is a natural brush killer? Because I will not use, you know, Roundup or any of that stuff. So, If you're serious about this, I would say just sharpen your spade and use a spade, which is a square bottom shovel, and dig them up. Okay. All right. And then the second question is, uh, is this a good time to transplant uh, bamboo? Or what? When, when would I know the... That the plant has, I think they they go dormant or die back. When do I know when I can dig it up? I probably tr- would. I would probably wait till we get out of winter time. I wouldn't do it going into winter time because I'm not sure that the root system can, can, can get established enough. Like a, the caller earlier said, they're predicting a severe winter. So you could go to all that trouble, all that effort and everything else, and then have the thing just freeze to death because it doesn't have any kind of root system established. Okay, so back to the now. I heard now just for, um, just for a, oh, a weed killer in general, vinegar, and like and dish soap. You can do that. There's also a horticultural vinegar, one that's formulated specifically for you know these kind of things. So you could actually use that. You could try this. You know, if you want to, you know, your vinegar, dishwash, washing soap, or whatever it happens to be, and see if it's effective. But if these were well-established woody plants, my thinking is it's not going to really do very well. Okay. Who sells the horticultural uh, vinegar? Uh, probably just go to any kind of year-round garden center. They should they should have it. And the thing is, it's, it's more... Uh, concentrated right rather than the vinegar you you buy at the grocery store right exactly so or you could just go online and you know put in horticultural vinegar and see you know and then put in local you know local whatever retail garden centers that would you know carry the product 
But generally, uh, not all of them have it, but uh, they should. Okay. Well, thanks, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. And go Lancers. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. We're headed to Belleville, and we're going into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. How are you? Very good. Hey, I got a question. I, I didn't have the best luck with my asparagus this spring, so I was going to see if something I should do now to, you know, it looks like a big bushy thing. And <laughs> should I trim it? Should I cover it up? Uh, you might as well cut it off because it's not going to do anything else. So you're basically growing it for the root system, and then when those shoots start coming up, then that's you know that's what you harvest for the classic well, asparagus mold, we eat. Mow over it and then uh, maybe put some gra- uh, grass on it. You know, uh, cut grass or whatever. Well, don't put don't do p- cut grass. Okay. I'd probably just put a you know get an a, let's say an inch or so of compost. Just lay that over the top as opposed to just grass clippings okay. or leaves that you've raked up from your yard. Yeah. All right, grass clipping and compost leaves. Right. Okay, and one one other quick question: uh, uh, Should I move my tomato patch every year or every two years? No, you don't need to. As long as your tomatoes so. really need a lot of fertilizer, they almost need to be fertilized every two weeks. You know, through the growing season with a fertilizer specifically for them so it has calcium and prevents some of the, let's say, blossom and rot, which is rotted bottoms on the tomatoes and stuff like that. But if you're taking care, if the soil is healthy and the plants are healthy, there's no reason to move. Okay. I, I have pretty good luck with that, that miracle Grow brand, so I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, it's a good one. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go over, let's see what's going on with Rich. Hi, Rich. Hello, Rich, are you there? Oops, I guess Rich is gone. Uh, let's go to Marjorie. Hi. Hi, Marjorie. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Um, I bought six potted mums, and they're beautiful. And I'd like to know if I can uh, plant them uh, from the pots in, into the ground. And if so, uh, what medium should I use? to do that and, and how soon could I do that? Uh, basically the chances of them surviving you know, our winter times, the root system is probably not going to be able to you know, get acclimated, in other words start to grow out to the soil and so it's really a very iffy thing. So you oh. could go ahead and try it but I would not, I, what I would do is you've got two choices really. Take the pots, stick them in the ground or dig a hole in some bed space just drop the pots down into the hole leaving an inch or so of the pots, you know, above the surrounding ground. Then oh, next really? spring, cut all that above-ground growth off, leave it for the wintertime, and then plant them in a location you want, and then you have to pinch them back multiple times, fertilize them extensively to get them to look like what they did this year. Another uh-huh. option is just to go ahead and try it and see, but uh, the pro- I don't know, percentage-wise, I hate to put a number on them, but I'm going to. Like 80% of them never survive. Because the root systems are so tight in those pots that consequently they don't, they're not able to expand out. And you say, well, what if I tease the root system apart? Well, you can do that, but then the chances of feeder roots being able to form because the ground is getting cooler and colder and colder is going to be somewhat limited. So they're great, but they almost should be treated like an annual. Right, right. So, okay. Another, uh, just another question. Uh, when's the best time to cut off lower limbs of hard maples? Uh, maples, I like to prune in the summertime as opposed to any other time of the year. 
There's less sap flow during the summertime. And I've got three sugar maples around my house, you know, as street trees. I've been, you know, we've been in this house, I forget how long now, uh, decades. But anyway, I always prune in the summertime. Yeah, I, um, uh, I love maples, I, and they're just so beautiful. I hope they're going to be beautiful this fall, but I wonder because of the dryness that we've had. Yes, that's been a real problem, a real concern. But there's, there's a couple red maples in our neighborhood that are really striking right now. And one of the three of our sugar maples has put out some pretty orange-yellow growth as far as, you know, the foliage goes. So it's tough to say. It seems like they just, just change overnight. You yes. get up the next morning, and, and they're just really beautiful. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I thank you so much, and I, I love your program. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, the mums are fantastic. I mean, they're really an enticement. But uh, one way also to look is, or to maybe determine if they're going to be able to survive is just to look right where the stem's coming up the stem of the mum out of the potting mix, see if there's any little small leaflets right there. That is somewhat of an indicator that it may have a chance of surviving in the ground. But I would just sink the pots in a garden space for the wintertime and don't disturb the root system at all. Now let's go to Sam's yard. Hi, Sam. Yeah, hello. Hi. I've got a question about a um, fiddle leaf that uh, has left the mortal world, unfortunately. Um We'd like to get another one. We love the way they look, but I'm wondering how can we get a fiddle leaf fig to survive in our house? <laughs> well, there it is a little bit tough, to be honest with you. And part of that okay. problem is a fiddle leaf fig has such huge leaves. And so, I mean, you could, like the lady with the gardenia, she rotated hers a quarter of a turn every day and that, that type thing. I, I liked them myself. I had one that I probably grew for maybe five or six or seven years but it, you know, I was never really all that happy with it. When you get them, you know, out of the production greenhouses, they're so spectacular. But the ne- even moving it outside for the summertime and everything else, and then bringing it back in for the wintertime, uh, they never really matched up to what you know what the original you know anticipation was for me. Mm-hmm. So, okay. it's, and then as far as like potting them, what what do you recommend there? As you just use a traditional potting mix. Okay. And We've if you get like one, a... and don't do any kind of you know repotting going into wintertime at mm-hmm. all, none. Only when we're, the days start getting longer, sometime in mid-April or something along that time, you can pot it up, but the pot should only be about an inch bigger than the existing pot. Okay. And then we had heard that adding activated charcoal might help with draining, and then we need to have a pot that drains, has holes in the bottom. Yeah, you definitely have to have the pot charcoal. I don't know what in the world that's going to do. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, with any kind of, basically, anything I grow in pots, I have I have the drainage holes in the bottom, of course, then I put pieces of old broken pot over the drainage holes so it prevents, uh, you know, let's say, stuff, you know, potting mix from leaching out. And then I put sure. about an inch or two of just pea gravel before I okay. put the potting mix in. Okay, great. Well, that sounds good to me. All right. Thanks for calling and having me on your show. And let's see, where do we want to go? Let's go over to Matt's yard. Hi, Matt. Yeah, hey, how's it going today? Very good. Good. Um, I have three banana plants in my front yard, and uh, they're still going strong, but I just wanted to know kind of uh, the plan that I should lay out for the winter to keep them alive for next spring. Well, a lot of people just chop them off, dig up the root system, and then take them inside, put them in the basement, you know, in like cardboard boxes and just leave them alone. 
If you want to try to okay. dig them up and put them in pots and keep them alive as a houseplant, that is going to be a lot of work. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I have no interest in that. Okay. Um, I just want to keep them alive. For yeah, so just they got a huge root system. So, you know, you really don't have to do anything. You know, they're kind of like elephant ears and cannas and all that other stuff. You just get them up out of the ground, you know, put them in a cardboard box. You don't have to water them or anything for the wintertime. And the next year when the weather starts warming, mid to late April, just stick them back outside. When do I take them out then? Like, I would probably... Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a house very close to where I live that I walk by a lot. Uh, I call their yard the Canna Banana Farm because they've got lots of cannas, elephant ears, and bananas. He's already got his you know his elf or his bananas. He's got them cut off. He hasn't dug them up yet, but he's getting probably ready to real soon. Okay, so probably next two weeks. Yeah. I would, okay. And okay. I just Perfect. like to do it before they get mushy. Also, I will forewarn you. The, the juice or the sap of a banana will stain your clothes like unbelievable. So just be careful about okay. that. Okay, perfect. Thanks a lot. Certainly. Yeah, I learned that, uh, you know, working in the climate trial my last year at the Botanical Garden. Prune a banana or a banana leaf off. You don't, you can't do it when the, the climate trial was open because guests could come in and could drip on them. And I mean, this stain never goes away. You can't do anything with it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, and outdoors we go, and we're headed over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Oh, uh, Mike. Uh, I have two rows of Sharon's. Uh, they're about one inch in diameter and probably around six feet tall. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the best time to leave them in the ground and not transplant them Wait till next spring, or can I get by with it now? If you were just if you'd bought them at a garden center and you wanted to plant them, I would say this would be a perfect time to do it. But transplanting, you tear up the root systems a lot, and moving it to a new location as the ground gets colder and colder and colder, I wouldn't advise it. I'd say wait until we you know come sometime in mid to late March. No, oh, okay, all right, good. And uh, anyway, how big of a ball do I need, and how deep do you usually roots run on those? All the roots for all the important roots, regardless, except for bigger plant materials. These you probably, if you go down one spade deep, which is about eight or nine inches, and go out about, uh, let's say, the diameter of the root ball, you want about, uh, let's say, 18 inches or so. That should be adequate. Water, right. water the thing before you dig it up too. The night before, because that holds, you know, keeps the root system, you know, intact much better with the existing soil. Okay, sounds good. All right, thank you. Good luck, good luck with that. Yeah, Rosa Sharon, uh, there's some down the street from us, and they're probably like 12 feet high. But the unfortunate thing is, they're growing in a shaded circumstance, the shade of a sycamore tree. So they're really pretty darn spindly. And when they're that tall, you can't even see the great hibiscus-looking flowers because they're at the very tips of the branches. So anyway, Yeah, that's, that's a problem I've got right now. Yeah. So uh, routinely pruning them to keep them shorter, that, there would be no problem doing that. I wouldn't do it for the first two years or so after you transplant. But after that, uh, anytime after the, the foliage starts falling off until the new growth begins in the spring, you can cut them back. All right. Thank you. Yep. And let's see, where should we go now? Let's go to, is it Flo? Hi, Flo. It's, hi, it's Floy. Floy. Oh, um, sorry. That's okay. It's not a name you hear, hear every day. Did you make um, it up? No, it's a 
name of a street in North St. Louis for an early pioneer child. Oh, really? Street. It's an old name, popular in the 1890s. Wow. I had a great aunt who was born then, and then my mother's name for her, and then I got the name. Wow. Um, I'm calling because I love Morning Glories, and I planted some this year. Mm-hmm. And we had a jungle of beautiful leaves and no blooms. What? No flowers at all. I've never had that experience. I never have either. We had, we, really? I didn't do Morning Glories this year, but I did Moonflowers, which is his cousin. And we had huge vines and a huge amount of flowers. They do take a long time to flower from the time, you know, the seeds germinate. It's usually about 90 days before you start to see flowers. And why you got foliage and no flowers, I have no oh, idea. Yeah. My husband kept telling me, well, they'll bloom later in the summer. Never bloomed. Never. If I'm, no. Uh, but it was gorgeous leaves and look like a jungle, but no <laughs> blooms, none at all. So are, was That's this a crazy. new pack of seeds? Yes. So, I mean, you've done everything. I mean, a lot of times you keep the seeds, and sometimes that can, I don't think that would impact no. them, you know, from a flowering standpoint. I don't know what happened, to be honest. I don't either, because I did it for years. I did plant them in a different place, and I had tomatoes nearby, and my husband planted dahlias, but that's the only thing. Yeah, so, I mean, they were in full sun, correct? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so you did everything as you should. Why they Beautiful. didn't flower? Hmm, that's yeah. a mystery. okay. All right. Well, thank you. Yep. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. And Alex, you were right about her name. I said, that can't be a real name. <laughs> Let's go over to Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, my granddaughter planted a tiny rosemary plant um, at the Botanical Garden this summer when they hit a, uh, the Henry Shaw's birthday festival. Mm-hmm. It's grown really nice. It's in a pretty good-sized pot, as the instructions were. And it's probably about six inches tall now. Is there any way to keep that during the wintertime in the house or in the garage? It's got to be, if I was going to try, they don't, they can't survive outside. In the garage, it's probably right. going to be, I mean, if you've got a garage that never goes below freezing and you can put it by a window, that might be okay. Or you can bring it inside and put it in by a bright window and uh, just base through the wintertime. Hardly no water whatsoever. Oh, okay. No water at all. Not even well. Once a not month or I'm anything? not saying none at all. But watch the inside of the pot when this potting mix that it's growing in really shrinks away from the inside of the pot, so you can really see a big gap there. Then water it thoroughly, and then no water again for probably maybe four to six weeks. But overwatering herbs that are growing inside is the worst thing you can possibly do. Right. I've never really tried to have them inside. I just grow herbs that, you know, last through the winter, like sage and that outside. And, okay, and then I have another question. Um, You know, I'd probably like to at least spray some organic, some oil, uh, not oil, soap, you know, mixture on it or on the on the ground so that it won't bring in bugs because it has been sitting in a pot on the ground. Is that safe for it and safe to then consume the rosemary? <laughs> yeah, it should be okay. I mean, uh, you probably don't need to do anything. I don't know if, if the fungus gnats are going to be problematic. I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. But just if you want to, just get a sort of a get some uh, horticultural or insecticidal soap at your favorite garden mm-hmm. center, mix up a small amount and just pour it around the surface and just watch the fungus gnats that are in the soil 
They only live for about three days, so you might have to put a couple applications of that, but it shouldn't contaminate the soil to a point where you'd be worried about it. Okay. Yeah, the other thing is I have a tropical hibiscus tree that I've had. It might be 20 years. Mm. And when I brought it in to our screen porch, it's normally in there, but we ran out of room in there and put it outside, and it was fine. But the ants had invaded it, so I sprayed it with some just regular, you know, insecticide, and it's, I thought it was going to die. All the leaves were wilting, but I flooded it with water. Right. Is that not really safe for plants? As far as flooding it or as far as spraying insecticide? No, as far as using, you know, an, it was so bad that I wanted to, you know, the ants were like all on the bottom of the pot. Right, and exactly. All. And they probably they, had eggs with them and everything else. They probably colonized they the thing. So, mm-hmm. no, you so, should I mean, be able is that... I would probably, again, with something like that that's in the soil, get the insecticidal soap and do a soil drench that way as opposed to just putting an insecticide, let's say, on top of the potting mix. Okay, so that would actually what I did, I even put some in the tray underneath that would kind of, you know, get, that's where the ants were, were all underneath, probably up in the soil too. But anyway, it kind of absorbed it up and the whole thing started wilting. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I think I've killed my tree. (laughs) I flooded it and it's okay, but... So that insecticidal soap would have killed that too, huh? Yeah, right. You just you mix it up, pour it down, and probably do a couple applications and just watch them, watch closely as far as for the ants, you know, as far as you see any, then right. do another application. All right, thank you so much. Certainly. Thanks, Linda. And sorry, Kathy, Joyce, and Bob from South City. Looks like we're not going to have time to talk to you today, but I think the Garden Hotline might be on next week. Hmm, I'm not sure. You never know. But anyway, thanks to everybody. Enjoy the fall. I don't know what the fall color is going to be like. I mean, I've seen some great fall color already on some of the maples, but uh, who knows? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.